following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. My message uh, this morning is entitled, uh, Why I Believe What I Believe and What Difference Does That Make? And... Um, we hear this word story a lot. There's a lot of competing stories out there. Um, there's the Buddhist story. There's the Muslim story. There's the materialist story that all we are is energy, matter, and time. Uh, there's the postmodern story that says, well, everyone's story is fine. They're just like flavors of ice cream, and you choose which one you want at an extreme end. And all have got some truth in their stories. But how do you know which story is really true? How do you know which story uh, you should really follow? Or do you just pick what flavor of ice cream you like and make it work for you in life? Well, Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. He came in grace and truth. And we need to be able to discern how we follow. And the picture here says, well, how the heck do you make sense of all this? The modernists say there's just science and reason and logic. It's all hard facts. And then there's extreme experientialism. It's just what you feel. And I take a, a fairly holistic view. I think there's a, a, a lot of things that add up for us to make sense of the reality of this world. I think science does point us to truth and reality. I think logic and reason points us to truth. I think history Archaeology points us to truth. I think personal experience is in some ways the most powerful thing. The personal experience of a living God. And basic intuitions, things that are in philosophical terms called properly basic. We just know they're right and deep down in our souls. There's wisdom in our culture. We think we're so advanced nowadays. We are technologically, but I'm not so sure in wisdom. <laughs> and for us, or those of us here who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's His Word, which everything must be tested against and brings everything together. For others, that isn't a source of truth. It's just another book. And I believe, and many of you believe here, a particular story, the Christian story, the orthodox Christian story, believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God is outworking things from creation to the fall to Israel to the coming of Jesus and then the pouring out of His Spirit. And in the future, when you're working through Revelation, best of luck with that. <laughs> Brave man, Reuben. <laughs> and in that, I think there's things we can hold tight. I believe in that very particular story, and I hold tight the basic core, the basic core of Orthodox Christian, Christianity. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's lots we can hold loosely. It pains me when I see Christians arguing about minor details. You know, if you can really work out all the details of Revelation, well, you're a better man than me. <laughs> but there is a core truth there. And I want to share what I believe and why I believe it, 
and then move on to so what? So what? What difference does that make? Firstly, I want to talk about why I believe in the Spirit, why I believe in the Son, and why I believe in the Father. I'm going backwards. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. I'm not sure that's heretical. Hopefully it's okay. So why do I believe in the Spirit? In many ways, this is the most powerful testimony. We're told to share testimony. And I believe in many ways because of personal experience. I became a follower of Jesus Christ 10 years ago uh, through doing Alpha. Started on my journey, an Alpha course. And, but in my life, I've, had, I've always believed there was more than just physical matter and energy. That we, we were just here. When I was 21, I originally started out in mining. I worked underground. My original training was in mining engineering. And I was involved in a serious accident underground. I was crushed by some heavy machinery. And as I was being crushed, I experienced what you call an out-of-body experience. You know, there was guys I played rugby with who were actually working in the same coalface. And they said I was screaming like a pig. But I didn't feel that. I was floating above my, myself, looking down, thinking, you're going to die now, very calmly. It wasn't a near-death experience. It was just an out-of-body experience. Didn't change my life. <laughs> I just carried on drinking, chasing women, playing rugby like I was. But it was a profound experience in many ways. It told me there was more to us. And as I've become a follower of Jesus, I've realized that we connect to the Spirit of Jesus. You know, in Christianese, which I tend not to like, the Spirit of God has come upon me many times. As I've studied, you know, when I really learned the truth of who Jesus Christ was, and it went from being an intellectual concept to something here, that was a profound moment. I still remember it. Running, I was in the kitchen going to Maria. Jesus was God. He was God. And she was going, yeah, yeah, I know that. I was writing an essay on the incarnation. No, he was God. <laughs> it was a, a moment when it went from there to there. And many of you will have experienced things. When, you, when I first really came to understand grace, that it's not what I do, it's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That was a profound moment when my spirit connected with the Spirit of God. And miracles. I, I'm, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm a pretty skeptical person. When somebody says to me, X, Y, Z's happened, I'm... Oh, yeah, okay. But I'm not a cynic. Big difference. I'm not naive. And I think sometimes we have got to test and look and not be naive. But I've seen healings. Personally, two weeks ago, my wife and uh, the local uh, Anglican vicar and his wife were wandering past our house. And I was having a real problem with my heel. And I was down in Tauranga. And they prayed for it. And it disappeared. I came home, Maria said, how's your heel? That's yeah, fine. <laughs> Coincidence? I've seen too many of that. The prophetic at work. My wife uh, brought me in many ways to Christ. She prayed for a long time. And you know, before we emigrated to New Zealand, she, she had a profound vision of me standing on a stage talking to people about my faith. And I'm always eternally grateful for this because she, instead of keeping it to herself, she told some friends. They weren't Christians, largely. But she told them and they all laughed and thought, oh, that's, that's pretty stupid. 
Because it wasn't that I was a particularly bad person. I was like most people out there. But the idea of me becoming a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, was pretty absurd. But she had this strong vision, a prophetic vision. I'm sure many of you, you here have experienced the Spirit of God like that. And finally, why I believe the Spirit of God is active is His fruit. The fruit of change in individual lives, radical change, and the fruit of change in societies. So much of what we take for granted in New Zealand and the West rests on the shoulders, sh shoulders of giants of the Christian faith. It's not by chance that certain societies are in chaos and others built on the Word of Jesus are different. And so fruit is critical. So I believe in the Spirit of God active in this world. And I think there's good reasons to believe that. Secondly, I believe in the Son. I believe not only is God revealing Himself in His Spirit through time, I believe His Son has revealed Himself. That, as it says in 1 Corinthians, you know, the resurrection is either true or isn't true. And if we believe a lie, we're fools. I believe that Jesus Christ was God on earth, the incarnation. And I believe His unique message. And I have reasons to believe that. Again, it's not just because I like the flavor of ice cream in this story. I've chosen a particular flavor. I believe it's true. Why do I believe it's true? Now, the incarnation is a radical thing. I'm not sure the earliest Christians could understand it, actually. But they knew that Jesus was God on earth. There's no doubt that those that, who Jesus claimed to be. He didn't claim to be a good man, a prophet. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Everyone wants to claim, well, Jesus is a great guy. No one criticizes Jesus. Christians are, cr are criticized, and quite rightly sometimes. But everyone wants a piece of Jesus. But Jesus didn't claim to be a good prophet. He claimed to be God-revealed. And there's no doubt about the authority he assumed. That's why he upset so many people. He claimed to have authority over the Sabbath. He reinterpreted the law and went to the heart of what it was about, not the rules. He went from mere compliance to heart commitment. And there's no doubt with the disciples that Jesus believed Him to be. They worshipped Him. I, I just think that's such a profound fact. These Jews who would never worship a man. The one, even Rome, the power of Rome, couldn't force these Jews to worship a man, to worship Caesar. They, they made exemptions. They worshipped Jesus Christ. Profound. Absolutely profound. When I read Scripture and did that essay I did on the Incarnation, and I just went through picking out everything around it, that's when it went from there to there. Do that sometime. Take, take a theme in the Bible and just take that theme through. It's profound what you find. So Jesus couldn't just be a good man. He was either who he said he was, Lord, or he was a liar, 
or he was a lunatic. There's a choice. Would a liar or a lunatic have given such a message? I think not. There is a third, a fourth choice, though. And that's why the resurrection, I feel, is so important. That's why I feel Paul thought it was so important. It could be a legend. It could all be made up later. 200 years later, after the crucifixion, a bunch of Christians got together, had a story, worked it all out, made it up. Every Easter, you turn on your TV, somebody will turn up with a theory, claiming the Scriptures were written hundreds of years after the resurrection, claiming that there was some plot, the twin theory, that it was really Jesus' twin on the cross, you know, that He really didn't die, He just swooned. And, and we can laugh at that, but these theories sell lots of books. But when you go, and you go to those sources of knowledge I talked about earlier, and you go to the historical evidence, like in a court of law, what you find is minimal facts that even skeptics and cynics agree on. Non-Christian historians, everyone agrees on these minimal facts. There's a website called Jesus Never Existed. There's too much evidence. We've only got four Roman writer, uh, writers from that time, historians from that time, two of them mention Jesus Christ. And they usually only mention Caesars and rulers. Jesus lived in the first century Palestine and died by crucifixion around AD 30, 32. Undisputed fact. His tomb was found empty. A body disappeared. Something happened. His disciples genuinely believed they had seen the risen Christ. They genuinely believed that. They died for that. The skeptics, Paul and James, were converted. So it wasn't just gullible followers. The resurrection was central to the earliest Christian belief. Absolutely central. It wasn't made up later. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, you go to the Gospels, right from the earliest part there's, there's creeds in there that make it clear that the resurrection was, goes right back to the beginning. It's not made up later. His disciples were Jews and they worshipped Him. An absolutely amazing fact. And they were transformed and willing to suffer and die for that belief. People will die for things they think are true that aren't true. But they won't die for things that they know aren't true. That's why when they train CIA agents and people like that, they'll only give them bits of information because they know they'll give it up under torture, under pressure. These followers died. And when you take these minimal facts and you go, well, what explains this? And you run any theory past it, any theory past these minimal facts, the only fact that's got any explanatory power is it's true. And that's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 15. It's true. Jesus is risen. It's not just a phrase. He is really risen. And His message of grace, His message of grace, we can take it so, so lightly. Every other religion and worldview is about what we do. About learning more, following the rituals, doing the right stuff. Christianity, although much maligned and often caricatured as being about that, 
It's not about that. The unique message of grace. Not what you do, but what has been done. And how you respond, yes. You respond by following, turning, repenting. Turning and following with your heart. But not trying to achieve perfection yourself. We will only come. Perfection will only meet perfection through the blood of Jesus Christ and His grace. Profound message. Deep. So I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Father. I'm working back from my experience. I believe that there is evidence for cause, design, and purpose in this world. I believe that science points to that. Science is a way of truth. It's not all truth, but it's a way. There's cause, design, and purpose seen in science. If you look at the amazingness in the beginning, in the beginning what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a start. That was a radical thing back in the 1920s. In the 1920s, it was assumed that the universe had always been here and science had proved the Bible to be a load of nonsense. And then Einstein started doing some stuff and he didn't like what he saw. He actually made up a, a number, a constant, to actually make it look like it was still eternal. He caused it one of his biggest ever mistakes. But the evidence became so strong from science that they had to admit there was a cause, there was a start, there was a beginning. And when you look at a beginning, everything that's ever come into existence has had a cause. And for time and matter and everything to have come into existence, that, that cause had to be outside of that, outside of time, all-powerful, with the ability to make a decision, a mind. That sounds a lot like God. So science points to a beginning. Science also now, the last 20 years, has pointed to amazing fine-tuning of the universe. Amazing fine-tuning. Whoops, knocked that off. Amazing fine-tuning. They keep on finding these things that are, like gravity is so right. The forces that hold atoms together are so right. The fine-tuning is so exact that it looks like somebody's, as one atheistic scientist said, as jiggered with the system. It looks like design, a design in mind. And now we look at the detail, the microscopic detail of the human body we see even more. The more we discover about DNA, how a cell works, the more we discover there is language. That slide there looks complicated. It's actually DNA is a four-letter language where everything is specifically written. There's more information in the simplest cell, specifically ordered with no spelling mistake, than in the whole of the Encyclopedia Britannica. All in order. Looks a lot like design. So I believe science points to cause, purpose, and design in the universe. How that was outworked, whether it was outworked over 15 billion years, whether it was outworked through evolution, whether it was outworked in six days, I'm not going to argue about. 
What's important is that evidence for design that matches perfectly the message of Scripture. Design and purpose in this world. I also believe that what we know is right and wrong, good and evil, just and fair, fair and unjust, worthy of shame or worthy of praise, which we all deep down intuitively know is there, points to God the Father. Some things are just right or wrong, fair or just, whether we agree with them or not. Some argue that society has made up morals and ethics. But if you think that through, what does that mean? It means that might wins. Power wins. Some argue that the messages of justice and the principles of life in the Bible are just made up. But if that's true, all Hitler did was lose the war. The guards at Nuremberg, the who killed six million Jews when they were tried at Nuremberg after the war. Their defense was, I was just following orders. My society had decided that these people were non-human. We can kill them. It's okay. They're non-human. Gay people, Jews, gypsies, they're non-human. We can kill them. Either that was right, well, society has made that up, or it's wrong. And deep down, a basic intuition, I think we all know, deep down, there is value to human life more than other life, other creatures. And that there are things that are just right, wrong, fair, just, etc. And that's the message of Scripture, which gels perfectly with what we see in this world. And finally, I believe in God the Father because I think there is real transcendent beauty in this world. Art. I mean, you think about music, it's pretty weird, really. Every society's got it. Art. Every society, that picture there, that wonderful picture we saw earlier. I'm sorry, the vouchers were for Gordon Harris, though. I'm disappointed with that. <laughs> What's that all about? Literature, dance, sport, the beauty of nature. What, when I think we have an awe, we are awestruck. I think it's our spirit connecting with God's spirit. When you stand by the Grand Canyon, you see the amazing beauty of that. You see amazing beauty in a flower, amazing beauty of a young child. Your spirit connects with God's spirit. There is true objective beauty in the world. So, the story I believe that I'm part of, I think is a very specific story. It's God's story. And that story is not just because I've chosen it. Could have chosen another story. Purpose of getting life is getting rich. Hindu meditation looks good. There's reincarnation. That would be nice, maybe. Perhaps not. But I believe this story is true, and I believe that the evidence points to that. So good for me. Good for me. Whoopsie do. But if it's true, it is not trivial. It should make a difference. It should make a difference to everything. This amazing God 
who created us. This amazing God who has been outworking His story. And we are part of that. And it gives purpose to our lives. It brings a clarity of how we can live and changes your perspective. So that's the so what. What do I mean by purpose? Well, if we're just evolved from nothing by chance, there really isn't any purpose in life. We just live and you die. End of story. But if this story is true, everything changes. We have a purpose from Scripture to seek and know God. That, that psalm about seeking God. And if you seek, you will find. I'm not interested in arguing with people. who and You can't argue anyone into faith. Complete waste of time. But genuine people seeking with an open heart will find God. And God will find them. Our purpose is to seek and know Him more. To ascribe worth to God with our lives, whatever we do. That's worship. That's what worship is. Ascribing worth to God. And glorifying God in response with our lives. Making our whole lives, not just this hour on a Sunday morning. Our whole lives, an attempt to glorify God. The great commandment to love God to love others, to love this world. And through that, if you truly love, surely you would want people to come and know this truth and be part of that story. Surely. The great commandment and the great commission. I, I sort of secularize that when I say, I think the purpose of the life is to be part of bigger than yourself that helps others flourish. I say that in that way. Because actually, many people who are non-Christians live great lives. But I think you're most fulfilled when you're helping others flourish. You know, even if you're part of a sports team that's coaching people, if you're, part of, you're producing music. But true fulfillment and flourishing is when that's aligned with God's story. There's truth in many things, but... When it's fully aligned with God's story, it's full purpose. So is the purpose of life just making more money? Is the purpose of life to think you're good and think you do great things? Is it, is it purpose? Where do you place your worth? If you place your worth in anything like that, you're in a very dangerous space. I'm a CEO of a large public company. If I placed my worth in whether this company is successful or not, I'm on pretty dangerous ground. Yes, it doesn't change that I want to do the best job I can. But if I place my worth on what the market thinks of me, whether I'm seen as a success, I can get taken away. But my worth as a follower of Jesus Christ can never get taken away. Yeah. If I place my worth in my performance, in adulation of people, in money, material wealth, I'm in a dangerous position. So there is purpose to life. And wherever you are, whatever you do, teacher, doctor, cleaner, you can be fulfilling that and glorifying God. So that's one difference I think it makes, is purpose. Next difference I think comes through this, 
His clear principles. Right belief will build character. What you believe does lead to how you live. If you really believe life is just about money, just about looking after number one, that this is it, just live for today, you will live that out. But if you really believe that it's about glorifying God and, other, and helping others, you live that out. If you really believe there is a destiny, you will live that out. It will create character when you're under pressure. It doesn't mean everything's going to go really well. You know, that distortion of the health and wellness gospel. How does that explain Christians in Africa dying? It doesn't mean everything's going to go well. But it does mean that you will live that out whatever your situation. And that will lead to your actions and that will lead to how you live in relationships. Because everything is relationships. People think my job as CEO is all about strategy, PowerPoints, clever stuff. Rubbish. My job is completely about relationships. It's completely about my team. It's completely about how my team as a leader's function. It's completely about how our people in our organization feel about their work and whether they feel it's more than just about making money. It's often people say, well, how do you reconcile difficult decisions? Well, there's truth and love. Even in difficult decisions like firing people, that can be done in love. Because you want the best for those people. You've been fair with those people. And they might well be in the wrong place. The message of Jesus flows through everything. Particularly relationships. And finally, if, you, if you'll believe this to be true when you live it out, it changes your whole perspective. I have a little acronym to remember things. I like to remember things. Not, I haven't got a brain that retains that much. And I call it a God perspective. You know, in my role, people often come up to me and say, boy, you must be under a lot of stress. There must be a lot of pressure. I go, well, not really. It's intense. You know, I juggle a lot of things. It is intense, but that shouldn't mean stress and pressure. Not if I believe what I believe. <laughs> you know, and for me, if you really ground a grace perspective in your life, you live in peace. A grace perspective means you don't think you've got to be perfect. It doesn't mean you just deliberately use that as an excuse. It's not cheap grace, but you rest in God's grace. The warehouse could be an unmitigated failure in the next three years. If you're a shareholder, don't take that as a forecast. <laughs> but it could be. All I can do is, with my team, take the information, take the right things, and make the decisions you make at that, at that time. People could suddenly decide they don't want to shop in shops. We're in trouble, Mark. <laughs> it could all be online. Now, you can only do what you can do and see if it's the right decisions in the right place at the right time with the information you got. Imperfect decisions. And so if you live by grace, though, it's incredibly freeing. And then you can extend that grace to others. If you see yourself out living out God's purposes, it's not about you. You know, the guy from Saddleback, what's his name? The, um, Rick Warren. I always love the phrase in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. 
first line is, it's not about you. It's about God's story and your part in it. And the big picture, it's not about you as such. And so if you live in grace and you're other focused, you'll be fulfilled. And finally, even when things are going really badly, you know, when your sales are down 10%, when everyone is saying you're an idiot in the press, you can rest in grace, rest in the fact you're focused on others, and you can just rest in the destination. Whilst I've said Revelation is a pretty confusing book, I hope you're doing well with it. <laughs> Defeats me <laughs> in the detail, but not in the big picture. It's pointing to a truth of the return of Jesus Christ and an eternity with God. And that brings perspective. So, my message today, my message today is you're part of a story. But it's not like any other story. It's a true story. That's pretty radical. It's radical to say that. I sometimes say in places, I'm a bit of an odd Christian. I actually believe it's true. <laughs> Doesn't mean we're arrogant and we know everything. There's lots that we can hold tightly because the evidence is very clear. Our evidence of our connection with God's Spirit, the evidence of the Son, the evidence of the Father, all those sources. There's other things we need to hold lightly because the evidence isn't clear. It's, we can have a bit of space. But my message is, there's a story there, and that changes everything in your life. If you already are part of that story, I hope you're blessed. I hope you continue with that, and I pray for that. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, and you don't, you've been doubting this, I pray today will be an encouragement to you, an encouragement to start a journey into that story. I didn't have a whiz-bang conversion on Alpha. You know, in the, in the Alpha course, Nicky Gamble, who, who does the videos, says, for some people, coming to faith is like getting on a train between Paris and Berlin. For some people, they know exactly when they cross the border. For other people, they go on the night sleeper and they wake up in Berlin. I woke up in Berlin. I don't really know what happened. <laughs> but wherever you are, I pray that you'll get on that train and start that journey. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the uh, privilege of uh, sharing today. Everything I've shared today is aligned with your scriptures. I could have talked for two hours and put all the scriptures around it. So I pray that people will turn to that. I pray that those who are already followers of you are encouraged and strengthened in their journey. And I pray that if there's some here whose faith has been challenged by, by the philosophies and arguments of this world that will contain some truth, just enough for Satan, the prince of lies, to take us away. I pray that they will be brought back to you. And for those who are just genuinely seeking and don't know you yet, I pray this will be a little step that will help them. I pray they'll go talk with Reuben. Get on the train and meet you in Berlin. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, 
or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.